Hey guys, I'm Tasha. Hey listeners, this is Guni. And you're tuned in to DotF the podcast, where we chat and explore all things on integrative medicine. Thanks, Dr. Gaia, for joining us again today on Dr. the Podcast. Hi, Tasha. Hi, everybody. Hi, Guni. So in today's episode and series, I guess we want to dive into living in a pandemic and how it's impacting our social health. And specifically, I guess, talking about the dynamics within families and how there's a lot of family drama. <laughs> there's been a lot mm-hmm. of stories reported about fights uh, within family members uh, getting out of line. And then, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's many stories to pick from, but I, w- I won't highlight those. Um, maybe you can tell us, how, how did you manage the family dynamics during COVID uh, in your household? Uh, yeah, what an interesting topic, uh, because I think each of us ha- has had a unique experience. Um, so I live in a multi-generational household. I live, my mother lives with me, uh, my elderly mother. Uh, I have my partner. And uh, for part of the pandemic, my daughter was living with me. And, mm-hmm. and I really can tell you firsthand how difficult this forced proximity was. So on the one <laughs> hand, <laughs> on the one hand, you're absolutely worried about the pandemic, what you need to do. Uh, and I work in the pandemic response in my day-to-day job. So you've got an increased burden of stress and you are removed from your normal environment because my normal environment is at work Uh, (laughs) we are bringing work into our home and Mm -hmm. the first six weeks was really hard but it took Mm -hmm. me a long time to realize how hard it was Mm -hmm. and we had all the classic you know the research tells us when we are forced into proximity with with people for extended periods of time Mm -hmm. you know there's increased confusion there's increased anger and our emotions tend to be more explosive right? Mm-hmm. Because we are contained, we're imprisoned, if you like, in yeah. this space. And we're frightened about what's happening outside, right? Um, so, and, and and this is also one of the reasons why there's more violence, more aggression, and we all ha- had, you know, heard about increased domestic violence, family violence. This, this uh, we can understand that through right. how our social and mental health work. So, you know, uh, for me, yes, we we had some explosive arguments, my mother and I, mm-hmm. and my daughter got involved, we were very, all very hurt, it really was very difficult and very difficult yeah. to stay objective uh, mm, during yeah. this process. I, of course, have great coping mechanisms. So in the middle of the pandemic, I decided I needed to get away and I, <laughs> bought, <laughs> I bought a chalet in the mountains. And now regularly, every weekend, I escape there. And that gives us some separation. Yeah, and yeah. So we come back, we're much happier together. <laughs> well, not everyone has the luxury to have a chalet, but it is a good uh, coping mechanism. It's like sometimes it just requires a walk in my situation where the whole family is kind of scattered around the world. So we just have to navigate our time. So we don't get into this proximity issue because we, we literally don't have to. However, now it's kind of the opposite is we're craving for connection and making sure that we are together. We are supporting each other in this very unusual time. And my escape is basically turning off that red button that is dropping the call. <laughs> so if we do get in a heated <laughs> conversation, I would just say, okay, bye. And I would just, so that's an easy, right, right. easy one. <laughs> so, so you actually raised the, the real uh, issue. So within the family, we have a certain impact on our social and mental health but being isolated is mm-hmm. what you're talking about right and and, mm. and my children are you know they're in two different countries siblings all over the world and you feel the lack of connection it, it's yeah. very hard and it's only yeah. when you are forced to stay at home you realize how much you depended not mm. just on family but on friends on mm. colleagues and even just seeing people around you people whom you don't know that connection yeah. So that's the other side. And and I think a really difficult side, because it's been more than a year where we have not had the social interaction that we have. And we also know that has, uh, research shows that has a lot of uh, negative consequences, you know, particularly it it impacts actually not just your mental health, 
and your stress yeah. levels, it affects cardiovascular health. It okay. actually is a risk factor wow. and it affects your mental health, definitely, but it also affects your immune health, right? Wow. So immunity can be abnormal uh, based on uh, isolation. So actually, it's not just in your head. It actually oh. affects your whole health. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. I mean, you touched on a really good point. Um, I have like maybe a similar dynamic as you, Dr. Gaia, where I have an intergenerational house. Right. And so we have like three different generations in the house mm-hmm. trying to like navigate the day-to-day and also this like strange concept of being locked in the house together. Plus my extended family is very, very connected and they come visit like every week. So this lack of connection has put us in a space where we're unable to like have any other outlet. There's some really interesting facts, right? So let's let's look at social rejection. So somebody you really like rejects you. It can be a, a lover, it can be a friend, it can be a child. Somebody does something to make mm. you feel rejected. Apparently the pain you feel is, is the same as physical pain you will feel from, you know, cutting yourself, if you like. Oh, wow. so, right. so actually there's research that shows for social rejection, if you take a paracetamol, actually that pain will reduce. So it shows in the brain, in the mind, we feel social pain in the same way that we feel physical pain, right? And why wow. is this? If you look at evolution, why, why is this? Why, why should this happen? Why should we, we be alert to social pain, rejection? Because we lived uh, as groups, as tribes, as, uh, as groups of people, right? Mm-hmm. And if you are rejected by the group, then your chance of survival is reduced. So mm-hmm. our brain has uh, evolved to recognize social pain. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the tragedy is, you know, during the pandemic, we are all very rational beings, right? We always say we shouldn't complain about our loneliness or isolation or family problems because mm-hmm. look at people dying. Three mm-hmm. and a, you know, millions of people are dying from COVID. Yeah. We're always trying yeah. to rationalize and say other people are suffering more. But social pain is real. And that's why we're talking about health as a holistic, integrated concept of physical, mental and social well-being. And they are interacting to protect you, to keep you safe and for you to persevere. So we mustn't, I think one terrible thing we've done, and I've done it too, um, that I've diminished my pain because I think I'm very fortunate, right? But actually your pain is very real to you. And I'm not saying we should indulge it, but we should recognize it, Mm. understand it's a real and important thing in your life. And as Tasha said, it can affect your physical health, not just your mental health, right? Mm. So it's very important to have this self-awareness, understand that social health, our connection with others and having healthy relationship with others uh, in the right doses, right? We know too much proximity is difficult, (laughs) too much isolation is difficult. To have this is very important and we mustn't undermine this. And this is also one of the reasons why we have so much increase in mental health conditions during this period, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's very important to be authentic, to understand, acknowledge, um, Mm -hmm. and to see its importance. It also highlighted like the importance of having a very reliable tribe um, that you can count Mm on and even as you said earlier, like just the, the social interactions with people that you don't even know, like you, the, the, the colleagues you see in the office, um, you know, the, the lady on the street who's selling some food you see yeah. on the way, that all these little moments add to the fact that you're not alone and isolated. And that's when I started questioning like, okay, so who can I really consider as my tribe and who can I lean on in this time, even though we are super isolated, right? How, how, do, you, how do you create that in this kind of setting? I think, you know, I mean, we're very fortunate. We're living in a, you know, a technologically advanced age, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we can connect. And, and now our tribes are no longer geographically bound. 
And you can have many tribes, Asha. You can mm. have a tribe that is related to your work, related yeah. to your religion, related to your family. I wouldn't talk my work with my family. I'd end up fighting because our politics are very different, right? Wow. So, and, and that's why we have different communities and tribes for different aspects of our lives because mm. we're complex yeah. beings. So I, I, it's very important. I have a very strong tribe in my professional life around the world, but they can't fulfill the needs that I have as a, as a mother or a woman mm. or a partner or a daughter. And technology allows us to be uh, connected. But the issue is, there's research that shows passive use of social media, just reading others' posts, you know, following Twitter, mm-hmm. that actually makes you more lonely. Yeah. What yeah. really works is synchronous, talking to each other at real time, interactive, yeah. That's right. right? Where we can bounce off ideas and build on each other. That mm. is the golden egg that we're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. is what creates connections. But if I'm passively looking at other people's posts, it can make me feel de- uh, diminished, unconnected, sad, uh, lonely. So mm-hmm. social media is a tool, but we have to use it in the right way. For sure. I yeah. think that for me, because the family was scattered and I, I during the pandemic, I, I moved from Hong Kong to, to London. The tribe that I had to build was based on friends and the level of proximity or the level of depth that our relationship has gone to would have never happened, I think, if it was not for the pandemic, um, because we're all in the same situation. No one has that family there. And so we have only each other to create that tribe. And that tribe just becomes very unique. And same thing when I came here in, in London, where there was a co-living space. So I had access to a pool of people who were kind of in the same situation. So the level of links of attachment that we create to towards each other, it's very strange because I become like kind of a sister to a friend and we are craving for these connections um, and, and even sometimes seeking it with, with strangers. In order to survive, we need each other. That's the evolution we need, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at us, you know, we needed to collaborate. It, mammals have babies who are helpless. Yeah. So we learn to collaborate in evolutionary terms. But I was really interested in what you said. Before the pandemic, I had the same experience as you uh, because I work in health emergencies. I'm asked to go to countries in emergencies and, and work with them. And often we travel, you know, two or three people together. And I find a week with my colleagues in the field is equivalent to maybe five mm-hmm. years in the office. One, we are present in an unusual setting mm-hmm. and a scary, dangerous setting that makes us act more together. Mm-hmm. And then this proximity, we're eating together, So that intimacy, that proximity allows you to have an accelerated uh, relationship. And Guni, you said, you know, your experience coming to London. So absolutely. The thing is, when something is taken away from you, when, you know, you know, social isolation could happen, you value other people more. So you Uh are actually entering relationship with others, not taking them for granted. You value each relationship, right? Normally, we don't value our relationships. We take most of our relationships for granted. It's only when something is threatened, we sort of wake up and say, oh, wow, I need this. This is really valuable, right? Given rational circumstances and and normal circumstances, we would be super fixated on like our structure or our rules of how we operate in the world. But now all of those keep shifting and changing. You expand your rules because you you need to survive. And so you adjust accordingly. I guess it is evolutionary as well, right? But I'm curious, have you guys heard of the concept of like a family bubble? Because I spoke to a couple of friends and um, those who live at home, but they couldn't take the, the stress of living at home. So they formed a little bubble with their friends and they basically decided to like rent a place and move in together. And oh, that, that was, that was yeah. the way they did it in Malaysia. 
Yeah, I, I have a great example of that. So I haven't seen my son since last August, but I find he's one of the few people who's thriving in this isolation because he's done exactly that. He's in an apartment building, dormitories, he's at university. And what they've done is they pick, I think, five or six people on their floor and they set up rules that they have to follow so that they can be a bubble. So they right. actually have a social life, right? So it's wonderful. And if somebody goes and breaks, that they enforce quarantine of that person they say okay awesome. you know you've been out in this gathering we'd like you to just stay and follow the quarantine and they actually enforce it wow. and they've had an amazing time they've studied hard they've been successful in in their studies they've done internships and they have this great vibrant social life mm-hmm. with which values each other so i'm very jealous my daughter <laughs> on the other hand she's in milan and she was in a very um, wonderful little tribe, you know, two other medical students were like big sisters to her. But because of some practical issues with the building itself, she had to move. And she really didn't understand why she was feeling so bad. Mm. And we realized is that she missed her tribe. Yeah. And and that made her miss even me. I mean, I'm shocked mm. when my 25-year-old <laughs> says, I miss you, mummy. You know, <laughs> I, words I never expected to hear. But then she, she understood. She said, oh, all the people who took care of me mm. are gone. And, yeah. and that really made her fold into herself you know and also she actually had another coping mechanism that many of us had in her previous place Uh, she had a dog in the house and she missed this too because many people manage isolation with pets right Mm. pets have become really important during this time so everything was suddenly taken away from her and it took her actually quite a few months to get back on her feet so I have completely different uh, experiences but the family bubble uh, Tasha is really um, an acknowledgement of the social need for connection Definitely married to the the epidemiological and public health need mm-hmm. for not yeah. spread, you know, to men and to limit uh, transmission of the disease. So uh, I think it's really interesting. It's the first time we've heard of it. Mm-hmm, for sure. It makes you reflect as well about what it means. Because some people are just like have a very big family and they're like, okay, so how do I treat these ones, et cetera? And then you have mm. smaller families, nucleus families, but then it's not sufficient on their own if something happens. So mm. then you just add members because you have to survive, as you were saying, Dr. Gaia. But when is dependency versus interdependency you know, what is that fine line where it can sometimes become toxic? Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at the arc of somebody's life, mm-hmm. you, as a child, the struggle into adulthood is to become independent, right? So you start off dependent, you're completely dependent on your parents, whether it's food or money or helping you to learn to speak or whatever. And then through teenage, you're fighting for independence Mm -hmm. and often financial independence, getting a job, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so this becomes your goal as a young adult, right? Mm -hmm. And, And then as you get into adulthood and you're in the workplace, in your new family, you know, whatever in your, in your tribe, you realize you're actually not independent, you're interdependent, right? Mm -hmm. So it is a good balance of you doing what you want, but understanding that everything you do affects others and what others do affect you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and people, a lot of people don't have that understanding and they don't make that transition. So everything is a battle. It's about my independence, about my rights, but actually life, and beyond individuals and families, it is about interdependence. Countries are interdependent on each other. Systems are interdependent on each other. And we are interdependent on the world in which we live, the nature, right. climate. Yeah. And I think we're at an age in the 21st century, we're beginning to understand mm. what this interdependence is. It is a balance between your individuality and your freedom, but really understanding the the mutual impact you have on other beings, on other systems and so on. And I think, you know, this social health is related to that, right? So Mm -hmm. what happens when you're too dependent on somebody? You don't have self-esteem and self-worth and you're at the risk of being exploited or abused. That's right. If you're too independent, then you are lonely because you can't be with anybody else. And, And what we're talking about is actually about interdependent that is balanced meeting your needs 
and, and not violating uh, anybody else's. Mm. Now, I was just going to draw from what you said, like a good example that most people can relate to would be just think of any uh, breakup, a relationship breakup, you know, when you are dependent on somebody and then the impact that happens, that's a good uh, setup to see how you function as a person individually and then with someone in a partnership. But, um, but often a, a reason for a breakup can be that you are without knowing too dependent right. and that gives rise to dissatisfaction in you and the partner, right? So, so there's a toxic situation that can arise when it's not balanced right? yeah and so it may, it may be the result but it could also be the cause mm. um, what are some of the hints where you kind of draw the line between dependency and interdependency well i, I don't think there's really a line i, I think you know you, it's a balance that you're trying to because you can be very dependent in a particular context but very independent in another context and interdependent mm-hmm. in another context right so um so for example at work i'm extremely it's completely interdependent on how we co-create solutions but right. i'm dependent on the organization because they hire me and they pay me a salary right mm-hmm. um, and then yet in certain areas of my responsibility i can be very independent so i, I don't think there is a line i think it's for us to understand uh, it's like you know nobody's happy or sad all the time or so i think they say we, we go through about six thousand mind sets a day you know different thoughts you know so you can't even count them right you're constantly in flux but I think societies actually influence how dependent independent and interdependent you are so if you take from more traditional cultures is actually interdependence is valued much more cooperation is valued much more in other societies independence is really the the goal of a mature person in that mm. society. But, you know, in a globalized world, now we see we have the same problems and the same challenges. So um, I think the fundamental skill here is to be self-aware of yourself, mm. of what you're feeling, what this means to you, and therefore what you want to do about it. We are often mindless, right? We're doing things, we're experiencing things, we are reacting to things. What we're trying to do is become mindful of what is happening inside us, outside us, our reactions. And that gives us an opportunity because we're very smart and we are wired to survive, <laughs> to actually take a pause and, and, and do the right thing. So I'm not, I'm not really um, advocating for one over the other. I think I'm really advocating for uh, being mindful about what is happening around you, what is happening inside you. How does this align to your value system? How does it help you and other people? And then I think that's how you take uh, decisions. Um... And I think an interesting perspective as, do you know, spiraling up when you have those, those arguments um, and it's conversations, discussions that needs to happen because you're stuck with them. Um, What could be, you know, ways to have those healthy confrontations or or kind of tips for people to integrate in, in their difficult conversations with people? Yeah. In several episodes, we really talked about the the brain, the mind, you know, how we are wired uh, to survive. And so when we are threatened, and the threat could be somebody in your family's voice has the wrong tone, or a look, a slight look, because we're very clever, we pick it automatically. And then what happens, we have what we say is an amygdala hijack. Our sort of lower brains, the older parts of our brain hijack logical thinking. Mm -hmm. So now you're in survival mode. In survival, you're going to fight or flight, right? So this is where these explosive emotions come in. You, mm-hmm. everything that you're confronted with after that you see is something threatening or wrong or and really there's only only one trick to identify the signs in yourself of mm-hmm. when you are under attack so you see your breathing changes you feel a little hot you feel hostility rising you know in yourself and then take a moment to pause take a deep breath or mm-hmm. just pick up a glass of water have a sip all right yeah. or if you're in a house just just 
walk to the kitchen, pick up, open the tap, get a glass of water, come back, right? Mm-hmm. Or if somebody's on, on Zoom and fighting with you, say, just one minute, I'll be back in one second and go get that damn glass of water. Because what <laughs> you need to do is disengage the hijack. So your logical brain reacts. That's one. Number two, I really think you become defensive because you think you're under attack. So we need to step back and say, well, actually, what is happening with this person? Mm. What is happening, not with me, but what's happening with them? Maybe they're attacking me because something else is going on. Right. right yeah. so you, you have to learn to not respond first, pause. But in your response, don't go to judging or giving a conclusion or, or replying. Find a way to ask really what's going on, what's really bothering you, right? Developing um, empathy, I guess. Yeah. You, yes, you, you really emotional intelligence is mm-hmm. really the core of all of this. And neuroscience explains why emotional intelligence works. But I, I think that's really about it. If you make it not about you, she actually shouts at me. She uses my name. She says <laughs> terrible things. She makes me feel this tall. And of course, I am trained to defend myself, right? Yeah. So I will go and it will escalate and I will say something worse and she will say something worse. And it cannot end in a good place. Right. The only thing is, I have to back off and 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 say, okay, mommy, you sound really upset. Okay, let, you know, w- what's this about? What do you yeah. want to talk about? You know, or sometimes you just apologize, not right. apologize for doing what they said. You can apologize and say, I'm really sorry that this has upset you, right? Mm-hmm. I'm really sorry you're upset about this. Okay, so tell me, I'm, I, I didn't mean to upset you. Tell me, tell me what I have done. Tell me how I can change that. And you know, a little de-escalation like that can prevent a world war really it can and uh, <laughs> I, I had I thought I was having world war three in my house during and actually it spilled out of the house we were shouting in the garden I mean we were trying to get space for each other <laughs> I ended up in the garden and because I'm in Switzerland I thought somebody's going to call the police and saying I'm abusing this old person in this house uh... <laughs> and she was giving it her all right <laughs> <laughs> this is the this is the argument my aunt who lives there she's like the oldest right so she she has the same thing she's like stop it like others like they're, they're gonna call the cops on it <laughs> i'm like i don't care <laughs> you know i need to state my peace <laughs> but, but that's about us saying me I, I agree with you tasha i feel like that i say I, the first thing you think is this is so unfair why yeah. are they like this but but then you realize it's actually a breakdown of communications because we misunderstood each other's actions because we haven't understood each other's intentions right yeah. so in my household for me stress relief is being quiet i meditate and quiet in my mother's eyes she thinks i don't like her that's why i don't talk to her right wow. she expects me to talk to her but i talk all day i have eight zoom meetings and i don't want to talk to anybody mm-hmm. i'm just being quiet and i think oh she must be pleased because i'm a good buddhist girl you know <laughs> no 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 you are so bad you're not a good daughter you don't talk to me you mm. don't me. and you have you can't unpack this if you get into it right mm-hmm. and actually in, in one major argument everybody was involved my children the dogs everybody <laughs> so, and I basically had to leave I actually left for seven days you know mm-hmm. I left the house for seven days I because I couldn't take it anymore and I left I went away and I came back after seven days and I was silent for several weeks after that I didn't talk because I didn't trust anyone to talk mm-hmm. <laughs> without getting into a fight but that gave us time to calm down and come to an understanding and, and that was an extreme case but mm-hmm. but I know what you're talking about and I know I can sit here and give you good advice but when it happens to me you get dragged into it it's like a, a deep sea current that drags you mm. in you know it's like a reflex right you just re- it is, like- it's exactly that it is a yeah. survival reflex yeah. and we have to disengage it hmm. I think you 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 mentioned multiple like uh great 
powerful tips because one, I think empathy and, and compassion, I think are the like links to emotional awareness or emotional intelligence. And I think it's the, the core of it. Um, and when you are able to, I guess, disengage or diffuse the situation by stepping away from it as you being the center of it, then it, be- it becomes easier. Because when I try it, those, those are the moments where I'm like, wow, I, actually, I didn't go down that path where I, yeah. I fought with them. But then when I don't apply it and I straight away re- react in the but, way that I normally right. do. It's very important, especially when you're locked up together. Mm-hmm. You have to diffuse. Yeah, Even if somebody is being say. very unfair on you, it, completely wrong, it, will, it can be aggressive and violent. And we have seen this in tragic uh, statistics about domestic violence. Okay, Because you are trapped there. You are trapped there. So, mm-hmm. so whatever the cost, you have to diffuse. That's right. You have to step back. It doesn't matter if people are being unfair to you. You have to step back, diffuse the situation, then figure out what you want to do. Correct. Yeah. Um, so it, it really, because it can end uh, in death because people are so passionate about what they feel mm. and the stress of being locked up. Why, why is there violence in prisons? Mm. Because people it's, are constantly aggressed, right? So right. we are in a prison, if you like, and wow. a prison without, without bars, right? Because what is keeping us in prison is our moral agreement that we will follow this rule. Nobody's right. imposing it, right? So, so, it, so it's triple stress. We, mm. Something has been told to us. We are fighting our instincts to stick by it. And then all this stress is fermenting aggression in a, in a close space. And, and don't underestimate the size of the place you live in, the number of people in it. Oh, my goodness. You know, yeah, that's so true. People who live in apartments in cities, more than half of humanity live in cities. In cities, you don't have a lot of space, right? right? Yeah. So you just need to be very careful, you know. And, mm. and I suppose after all this is as this is easing up, we have to think about what really nourishes us, what really mm-hmm. stresses us out, where do we want to live, where do we want to work, these are questions we didn't really ask before. We followed where there was work or there right. was a relationship, yeah. but no, it's more complicated. So you have to use this time to self-reflect about what works for you. Approachable, right? right? You never have enough people, and and always your tribe is people are entering it and people are leaving it. Relationships don't just happen. You have to nurture relationships, right? Whether it's an intimate so relationship or a casual relationship, you get what you put in. That's it. So true. So we true. take relationships for granted. I know that's a lesson I learned with my partner. For me, he was always there. I just took him for granted. But luckily, over the last year, I've really become to appreciate things about him. Mm. Things I was judgmental about before, you know, which I saw as not so nice. I realize it's a great strength of character. You know, he mm. has that social health. It's not an end on its own, but it is an integral, essential, core part of overall health. Right. We've spent centuries looking at physical health. In the last few decades, we're beginning to understand and unpack mental health. And the pandemic is gives us a great opportunity to learn about social health. And 74 years ago, when WHO was formed, we said health includes all of these three components. So here we are with a great learning opportunity and we're all learning. Everybody should uh, embark on life as they are learners, not experts, <laughs> including me. My goodness, how much I have learned. Um, but let's take some time to not judge, be approachable and nurture relationships regardless of the benefit you see. Yeah. Well, on this beautiful note, Dr. Gaia, uh, thank you for for those words of wisdom uh, from the Wisdom House as well. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, thank you. What it's it's so I really enjoy talking to you, and and uh, I, I really enjoy uh, that it's very practical, and and in a way you're helping me because I'm talking through my problems on air as well. <laughs> awesome. I hope my mom doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> I'll have another problem, but. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha
If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and select that follow or subscribe button. For now, stay safe and we'll see you next week. Thank you.